1: Hey, this is Josh Flanagan with iFanboys Talksplode, and the guest on this episode is Steve Lieber, uh, a fantastic artist and cartoonist who you have seen on uh, many great comic books like The Superior Foes of Spider-Man, The Fix, most recently Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, and way back in uh, Greg Rucka and Whiteout, um, and a lot of great cartooning in between. Uh, We had a nice long conversation about... How he came up in the industry, where he came from, the, the art, the whole thing. It was super fun. And yes, you're going to hear him drawing the entire time uh, in the background. And uh, you, you can't stop a man from drawing. So uh, that's fantastic.
2: Hi, Steve. Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm,
1: I'm very glad to have you. Uh, uh, it's funny because I was I was thinking you hadn't been on the show, but you have been, just not officially. Uh, we were talking to Parker one time and you were in the background and then I think you pretty much just came on, which is good. And then a long time ago, I think we had you on the video show once. Uh, for thing.
2: Sounds right. Maybe back when we were doing
1: underground. Kind of yeah. It was, it was a while ago. I do remember that the first time that I uh, came across your work was Whiteout and I had gone to uh, San Diego that year. I don't know if it was my first or second year. It would have been 2000, 2001. And you did uh, a sketch uh, from, and I was actually trying to remember the character's name from Whiteout. Is it Carrie? Is that Carrie? No. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Correct. And you did this like amazing. This was back in the days where people just sort of did sketches for everybody, and there wasn't uh, money really. And, and you did this like beautiful, thoughtful sketch, and you you were you know you were flinging actual whiteout at the at the at the paper. And, and, and it's one of those like con experiences it's like, oh, he just did this amazing piece of artwork for me. And that was the first impression that you ever made on me.
2: One of the things I really miss about uh, doing conventions in person is, is being able to, to, to sketch for people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to get that back. I've been doing lots and lots of of, commis- of commissions on, on actual postcards <laughs> for people who, who give to local causes. Um just because I, I, I miss doing quick drawings for people uh, and it, it, uh, I've, I've been part of the, uh, of, of the art commission industrial complex like everybody else, <laughs> but, but I really like the connection of just doing something fast for, for somebody who's read the book. It, it's, it's, it's a pleasure.
1: Yeah. It's a really, uh, <laughs> it's so e- It's so easy to go into this, like, yeah, things were different and who knows what it'll be now. But that, you know, that, there was definitely a time it was probably ending around the time I'm talking about where, you know, it was a little smaller and a little more intimate and it was less, you know, just hectic. I I remember the first few years I went to San Diego and it it spun out of control really quickly. And, you know, it, there were other shows that were better where, you know, you would you would have time and you would be able to talk to people and it wasn't just a constant sort of fight for space and, and get in a line and do everything and, and I really fell in love with it back then. It's very my my
2: yeah. first San Diego, I arrived in town without having made any arrangements for, for where to sit at the con. And I was <laughs> able to just get table space by showing up and telling them that I, that I did a book for DC Comics. Um, and I knew people who would come to San Diego with no room reservation, uh, figuring that they'd be able to find something once they, once they arrived in town. That just sounds uh, like
1: a fantasy now.
2: Yeah, it, it's it, it's an alien world. I yeah, I, I I feel like like one of the one of the one of the weird costume nomads in the road warrior talking, <laughs> you know, talking about the old old days.
1: <laughs> so, how did how did you sort of originally get involved in comics? Were you a were you a lifelong reader? Were you did it come along later?
2: Um. Started just about the time I was able to make out what letters were. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I I still have my very first comic. I, I got an issue of a Submariner comic, Tales to Tales to a Stop. I, I can't remember what the actual title of the the comic is, but it was a it was a Roy Thomas and uh, Marie Severin Submariner comic uh, that I my dad found found on the street or picked up at a flea market or something when I was five years old. And at some point in my, in my childhood, I went through it and I re-inked all the Namor figures with a ballpoint pen, <laughs> uh, which, which makes uh, Murray Severin my first artistic influence. <laughs> uh,
1: and you still have you still have that specific issue. I
2: still have that comic with uh, it, it's, it, it, it was coverless. and mm-hmm. at some point I cut out the Marvel value stamp. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, it, it's 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 still still in my possession. Uh, it, Marie Severin was actually really important to me for that, and for another reason, um, she was the first comics pro I ever met. Uh, when I was like ten years old, uh, I was uh, I got my mom to drop me off at a at a, a comic con held in Monroeville Mall, a big shopping mall on the outskirts of Pittsburgh. It's most famous for having been where they shot dawn of the dead um and there was a they held a comic-con there with 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 dealers and, and artists just kind of sitting in the sitting outside the 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 the, the food court whatever um and uh, my mom dropped me off with a dollar and I, so I bought a hot dog or something and that was it. And so um, it's like, it's like 1976 or 77 and I'm walking around with no money and my mom's going to come pick me up in a few hours and I'm looking at all these old comics and I'm getting kind of hyper and miserable at the same time because there's no reprints in those days. Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing thousands of comics with an awesome cover with awesome covers that I know I'll never get to read, and I'm just—it's just kind of dawning on me how much awesome stuff there is that I'll never ever be allowed to, to take a look at. Uh, and this nice old lady waves uh, me over. Old, oh, well, she's probably younger than I am now, uh, <laughs> and says, "Hey, hey, kid, come here. You, you, you want a drawing or something?" And and I realized who she was, and and I said, "Yeah." And she said, "Who should I draw?" And I said. Uh, Doc Savage, because I was a weird kid, um, and she she pulled out a, a Black Magic marker and a, a, a pad of paper, and no pencil prep, just just working in, in big, broad ink strokes, drew a beautiful full-figure Doc, Doc Savage sketch and gave it to me. Oh, wow. And, yeah, I, I've never had any, any experience like that in my, in, in my life up to that point. I've never seen an adult draw, I think. Mm-hmm. Um much less, you know, a, a 25, twenty five, thirty year pro like Maurice Severn was yeah. at that point.
1: I had um, a I was older, but I, I had an experience vaguely similar. Was the first time it was it was called Ithacon. It was in Ithaca, New York. Um and I was in college, so I was probably nineteen, twenty, something like that. Uh and it's this tiny little I wanna I'm I'm picturing it as like in like a the smaller banquet room of a hotel or something like that. And uh, Walt Simonson and Louise Simonson were there at a table, and and I I just sort of started reading comics again after a really short little stint when I was a kid. But I recognized him because I remembered those Thor issues, and I said, you know, can you can you do a a Thor for me? That would be that would be really cool. And he'd done some heads cuz was just a line and people were asking I think we drew it on the on a backboard or something like that and I said can you put the hammer in it and he looked at me like you're going to make requests and I was like so you know <laughs> but but he did he did this really and I'm looking at it right now it's on my wall and uh you know and and he finished it and he and he sort of made that face like oh it's pretty good and he showed it to he's like wheezy look at this you know like <laughs> it and it was just this really nice little moment and I, you know that I feel like that made a real impact on me in terms of you know, really coming to love the, the the art form and the medium and the community and everything. So it Sounds like you had sounds a good
2: both... Yeah, it sounds like we're both pretty lucky to have met you know, consummate gentleman yeah. professional.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. And and I you know, I met him for real years later and uh he was, you know, even cooler than I had sort of thought back then. So it was it was a really nice bookend to that, I think.
2: One so... of the first Oh good. Go oh. No 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 please. One of the first San Diego's where I was I was like a, a listed guest. Um, they they seated me an artist alley just two seats away from Marie Severin. Oh, wow. So I uh, go over and, and tell her that story and tell her how I took her drawing home and copied it over and over and how it, it, it set me on the path of doing this for a living. And she just said, oh, Christ, I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: That's about right for for the comics tone of, yeah.
2: so so given that
1: point, you know, when did you sort of you know were you always drawing as a kid or like when was the point where you thought this would be a thing I could do?
2: Uh, not always, but uh, I would I would go through obsessive phases when I would do it a lot. I was always reading comics and mm-hmm. reading them and rereading them and studying them obsessively. Um, so I was never about. Just making pictures. It was always about uh, comics as stories. Um, you know, the the act of laying one picture next to each other, next to another one to to, to tell a story. Um, and as I got obsessed with with comics, I started doing everything I could to learn more about them. Uh, my local library only had like five books in their entire comics, uh, etc. Listing in the in the their Dewey catalog. Uh, so I read all of those, and in, in, you know, in Joel Pfeiffer's book, and uh, the the book Comics with an X, mm-hmm. which was uh, another history of comic books and strips. And at some somehow, at some point, I learned that, uh, com- that the, the comic strips of the newspapers actually used to be good. Um, so I would I started. <laughs> rereading the Pittsburgh mm-hmm. Press's comics pages on microfilm from the 30s and 40s. Oh wow! Yeah, so I, I was yeah, I was ten years old and, and reading years worths of, of Terry the Pirates <laughs> one day at a time. Yeah, you, and, you never
1: had a chance at any other industry. You kind of had to do this at that point. Huh? Oh,
2: I was yeah, <laughs> I, I was crazy and obsessive, uh, but it, it it didn't really seem like something that I could do. I you know. I mentioned that I'd never seen an adult draw. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't know anybody who had done anything creative with their life. Uh, um, my dad was a salesman and miserable about it. Uh, my mom was was a housewife and later started several businesses that failed. I didn't know anybody who could. Who could? I didn't even know what a freelancer was. I, it, it, it just didn't seem like a possible thing. But I had gotten a copy of um, Origins of Marvel Comics, the Stan Lee book.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and and in there, I learned that, that Stan Lee was born Stan Lieber. <laughs> and and that, that, that lit a bell there. You know, suddenly, if, if Stan Lieber could do it, why can't Steve Lieber? It just didn't seem like that big of a leap.
1: <laughs> I don't think I've ever made that connection. But yeah, yeah. that's... That's a that's a very specific one. So were you were you understanding, you know, the mechanics of comics? Because we have, you know, I think it's a, you know, we have so many resources now where you can read and like, oh, storytelling is important, and here's how scripts work, or here, you know, as you said, there's sort of a dearth of information. If you didn't know anybody, like, was it starting to come together how the
2: art form worked for you? The uh, I, I had a couple of paths towards accumulating that information. One was um, the the big library in Pittsburgh, the one I had to, you had to take uh, like a half hour bus to get to, uh, had this giant reprint volume of old EC comics. And one of the, the stories reprinted in there was um, Bernie Craigstein's Master Race, a famous great comic story, one of the high watermarks of 20th century comic book storytelling. And I'm proud to say that as as an 11-year-old, Reading that story, I could tell that this was something different. I, it was, I could feel like neurons making connections in my brain. Um, it was the first time that I was aware of... I was I was aware that a, a picture could be quiet or loud, which is a strange thing to say, but it's now... It, it's just how many artists think about composition. Um, and it was the first time I'd seen... An artist consciously manipulate time by the way they sliced up panels. Um, uh, if, if there's a visual thing to go with this talk, you can you can uh, grab some pages from from the story and, and run it along with it, and people instantly see what I'm talking about. But that was the moment right there, reading that story, that I went from being aware of this of the characters in the story to being aware that there's someone who's making these things. I could I could feel the puppets. I could feel the, the, the puppeteer's hands on the marionette. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that started me thinking really, really hard about it. And after that, it was, you know, I just started accumulating info in all the usual ways. Uh, when, when I was in high school, the, the Marvel tryout book came out. Uh, and there was that, that, um, yeah, how to draw comics, the Marvel way book. Mm-hmm. So th- th- those started helping me put pieces together. And, uh, uh I was reading criticism and, and, the comics journal. Um, but what, what made the biggest difference for me was going to the Joe Hubert school. Uh, I was, I was a student at Penn state on a business, on a scholarship to, for, for their business administration thing. Because mm-hmm. again, I, I, I did it. I still didn't see a path to making comics as a, as a livelihood. Um, and uh, I'll I'll, sk- I'll skip the weird coincidences that led to this, but I, it, uh, I wound up meeting somebody who went to the school um, as a, at the, at the exact moment that I was reading about it. And suddenly the, the school went from being this, this distant pie in the sky thing to a real thing that, that, someone i just talked to and attended um i gave up my full ride scholarship at, at penn state uh, studying business to instead go spend thousands of dollars at a trade school that teaches about comic books um you can imagine how happy uh, my dad was on that one
1: that, that was exactly the question i was thinking of. yes i was like oh my god the, the, the,
2: this this would be this would be a page in my origin story right here um when I told my dad that I was giving up the full scholarship to, to go study comic books, uh, he took out an ad in the local penny saver newspaper and sold my bed. <laughs> it was, uh, I, I got to give him credit. It, it, it was a hell of a gesture. Um, yeah, yeah it's like, you, you could, you could, you could fuck up your life. but You're not going to do it on my time. Um,
1: and now you're in comics. You sure? Yeah, yeah. We,
2: we talked a few years later. Um, <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, and we can laugh about it now. So yes,
2: yeah. Well, he's dead. Yeah, you know. Um, well, it, it was it it was a tough relationship for several years. Yeah. Um, but it, it also made me. It it, it was. A useful kick in the ass, I guess. Um, it, it made me it, it made it clear to me that there's no plan B here. That I'm, I'm going to have to get good and figure out how to support myself doing this.
1: What kind of awakening was it to sort of be around, you know, at, at the Kubert School and be around people who had done it for a living and other people who who were? I mean, did, did it? It did was
2: it? amazing. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, my. I was, I was sharing a house with a whole bunch of other people who were just as obsessed as I was. Uh, there's original art on the walls by Hal Foster and Joe himself and mm-hmm. uh, Jose Luis Salinas and other great, yeah, great, great artists, Alex Raymond. Um, there's people who've, who've, who've solved every problem that I'm ever going to run into a million times that I can go and ask questions of. Um, it was, it was a great education. Uh, it, it, it involved living in Jersey for three years. Um, <laughs> which, which is its own thing.
3: Sure.
2: Uh, but yeah, uh, I learned a lot. I, uh, at this point, uh, people ask me, should, you know, should I go to art school? Should I, should I self-teach? And, it's not necessary. Nobody's ever asked to see uh, my, my certificate of completion from the place. Um, no, one, no one cares about where you study. They only care about what's in your portfolio. I think I needed that structure to learn, despite all my obsessiveness about comics. I, I, I wouldn't have knuckled down and learned the basics that are the foundation of my career without them. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was the, the absolutely the right thing for me. That said, I know lots of other artists who are completely self-taught who can draw circles around me uh, uh,
1: it's It's interesting because I've talked to a good number of people, you know, in this format who who had gone to the kubert school and and not all of them, several of them didn't you know become artists between you know Kubert and SCAd. And it isn't always, you know, I think I was thinking I was talking to Donnie Cates and I didn't realize that he had gone to Qert school. Or was it SCAD? Doesn't matter. He he he'd gone in as artist as an artist and he's like, I, I realized I didn't have that in me, but he still like uses a thing to learn and, and sort of move forward and there's there's been lots of people like that. I think um, Joe Caramagno was another one who went to the Cubert the school. And it's the same thing, you know, he came out of it and he's like, well, I want to work in comics, but I'm not going to be able to, you know, do this from an art standpoint. Um, But it it really is such a constant in at least a certain generation. I don't know if it'll be the same thing going forward, but I'm thinking that when you were there is probably a little bit of a sweet spot in terms of who was there and what was going on and how it, you know, like the sort of timing. I, I like the idea that, you know, you had time wise, you had feet in sort of the, the early silver age and, and you know, through the 50s. And, and you know, what, a, what an amazing talent, like a pool of talent to sort of choose from who'd, who'd been through all of, you know, all of that development in comics, you know.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, there's you know, the the downside to having teachers who, you know, a lot of our, my teachers were working in comics since the Second World War. Sure. Um, the downside to that is that I came out Of art school in 1990 having never sat behind a computer Mm -hmm. um (laughs) and you you were uh, smoking a
1: cigar and you were wearing (laughs) suspenders (laughs) and
2: dipping my brush into a into a shot glass full of whiskey um (laughs) i I mean the a lot of the techniques we learned were state-of-the-art for 1957 Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but, but the principles are eternal, and I, I, there's stuff I learned in my first month there that I still use every day.
1: Give me an example.
2: Um, tricks for constructing uh, perspective. Uh, I'll, I'll, this is a phrase that's meaningless to someone who doesn't draw for a living, but how to hang a head on the horizon and line figures up so that they don't look like they're standing Uh, in midair or floating out of the floor when Mm -hmm. you're drawing when you're constructing a three-dimensional space without looking at it without using any reference
1: that's interesting it makes you know what that description makes me think of in the earliest days of cgi uh it never looked like any of the things were on the surface they were on I i don't know if that's at all related but that's that's the first thing it made me think of but um it's funny because I always remember the first time I—you know—I must have been ten or eleven. First time I read How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way, um, when they were describing, you know, the vanishing point and perspective and stuff like that, it, it blew my mind. I thought, oh, there's a whole other thing going on here that I didn't even know.
2: And the the anatomy teacher there was this wonderful maniac uh, named uh, Ben Ruiz, Benito Ruiz. He was. Uh, I don't think he ever did anything that appeared in comics, Um, but uh, he'd been a commercial artist since the 1950s and uh, was a very, very uh, systematic teacher whose entire approach to pedagogy he learned uh, being trained to be in the infantry in World War II (laughs) <laughs> so he, he, so he, the so the way he taught us was was a was the way his drill instructor taught him, um, and it was funny and it was brutal. Um, let's see if I can if I can give, give a bit of a taste of it.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm having I'm having a little trouble <laughs> making <laughs> the connection.
2: Okay. What you're gonna do is you're going to draw that figure on the model stand in front of you. Now you're not going to draw the model. I do not want a picture that looks like the model. You are going to draw an eight-head mannequin of that model from your point of view. Yeah. With the (laughs) with the eye level at the waistline right here. that's, when you've drawn this, you are not going to put you. You are not going to put your name in the lower right hand corner like you're signing this thing. You are not creating a work of art. You are repeating back the information that you have been given. You are not here to express yourself because you are first year art students and you have nothing to express but your own ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> and you can do it without taking a
1: breath. Yeah. it was really something. You were born again hard that day.
2: Oh, God. It was, it was, it was, he was glorious. I miss him every day of my life. He was, he was wonderful. So, and, you, uh,
1: you go through, you, you go through, through Qbert, you know, what, what is the next step? Uh, you know, it, there could be a <laughs> long road in between sort of getting out of that I've, school and having a career.
2: I've, I've told this story a lot, but I'll, I'll, I'll. Yeah, I <laughs> oh, oh, It's, it's, it's a good story. Um. I, I finished up at the Kubert School. Uh, I'm, I'm, g- I'm going to move back to, to Pittsburgh and uh, uh, stay at my parents for a while. There's no bed for... there. You can't. Yeah, not at my dad's. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's good. I can, uh, I can, I can stay stay on my mom's couch for a little while and and figure and figure out what the next move is. So I I ship everything I've I've drawn over the three years back to Pittsburgh. 50 pound box of completed artwork, all my my my, enti- my entire output for three years of art school, uh, and UPS loses the box. Oh. <laughs> so oh. I, I, yeah, so I arrive back home. Uh, UPS apologizes and sends me a check for $100 to replace the this, the valuable stuff that they've lost. Um, I start trying to to recreate my my portfolio which it's going to take a while and this is before digital storage of any kind so there's no record of anything all i have is the originals um and i so it, i get it get a crappy job telemarketing and, and start spending every night you know, tried to recreate my portfolio so i can uh, start hitting the ad agencies looking for storyboard work and start submitting c- comic samples to publishers. A um, couple months into my in, into my um, telemarketing job, uh, I'm at home. I get a call from uh, a student I, I had known at the Kubert School. Uh, she and her husband were first year students while I was a third year, and I'd helped them out and stuff. And she called because she just gotten a job at a drugstore in Jersey. And she was going through, she was do, doing some um, inventory in the basement and she found a giant box with my name on it. Oh my God. <laughs> and yeah, it was, it, was, it was my 50 pound box of artwork. Uh, she, she arranged to have it shipped to me. Uh, I, yeah, I got it. I had, I had my, my portfolio all, all suddenly intact. I started making calls to ad agencies and the very first place, that I showed my portfolio. I got work and I haven't really been out of work since. Oh my goodness. Yeah.
1: So was that the plan that you, that you had like, you know, forgetting, notwithstanding the, the lost boxes or anything, but you know, that was the first plan is, is sort of go for storyboard work with ad agencies. And then that, that would set you up for a bit.
2: Yeah. Um, I, 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 I knew that, that the Pittsburgh had a lot of advertising agencies and it didn't have much of an art program at their, in, in their local schools so that I would have a, pretty good advantage over the local artists and indeed i did which is why i was able to get hired so quickly so i i did that for like a year and a half while uh getting my comics stuff together it was interesting i came out of i came out of Kuberts knowing what it would take to do, to produce professional work uh and i was about 85 percent there I just I just needed another 20 30 pages under my belt just need to get get a few more rookie mistakes out of the way before people would want to start hiring me um, and my way into comics was was the usual was was a pretty usual way in that in those days I did mini comics I did small press stuff where I was I made five dollars a page for inking and lettering and hand lettering <laughs> on a book. Um, I did. I did some paid samples for writers who were trying to pitch things, Um, and yeah. How did Uh, you get?
1: How did you get hooked into those scenes?
2: uh, Talking to people, uh, just yeah. I I made sure that um, uh, that the um, the folks at the local comic shop knew who I was. Mm And so, so that if people were looking for an artist, they would, they could mention me. Um, I, I mailed samples. It, this was my big thing for actually getting in, getting into the paying markets. Um, on the first day of every month, I would mail a new eight page packet of, of samples to every single editor and assistant editor in the business. Um, and this is in the snail mail days. So we're talking about a leaning tower of Pisa manila envelopes, Mm um, (laughs) like 70 bucks a month in postage. But, uh, yeah, I was, yeah, I was, it it meant that I I had to, I was, I kept doing, I kept doing new batches of samples. I kept getting better. And I was showing the publishers that I could make a deadline before I had a deadline. Uh, if, if, if they're getting new samples from me the same day of every month, they can see that I'm I'm, I'm serious about this. It's it's hard. You know, I've much I've much sympathy for any editor who's who wants to hire new talent, but doesn't know what they're getting into when they hire some when they hire somebody who's never been published before. Yeah. Um. Because you know, a, a lot of people a lot of people flake. I've known some terrific artists. You know, they're, they're like. They're like uh, playground legends in basketball. Mm-hmm. You know, they can, yeah, in, in their own league, doing their own thing. They're they're fantastic, but they, they they don't they're not really wired to to do this professionally. And it's no slight; it's just it's just uh, whether whether you're <laughs> whether you're wired for it.
1: Well, um, the flip side of that though is that you've then also got to prove to yourself that you're not that person, or to them that you're not that person.
2: Exactly. Um, and, and and for me it was it, it, my way of doing it was just constantly sending new samples uh, a new batch every month a different genre um, so you know, that they, they you know, after for some folks they, they they got a full year of those batches of samples um, that's it, it showed them that 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 I I was wasn't unlikely. I was unlikely to flake because I just kept producing, even though no one was paying me to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, As it turned out, uh, one of those samples actually got published. Um, A friend of mine, a guy named Jeff Lang, who had run the comic shop at Penn State, had written this great short story, um, and I, I, it was an eight-page story. I drew it up, uh, I, I inked it, I hand lettered it, um, and I, I sent it off as a sample. And it arrived uh, at, at uh, on the desk of whoever was editing Dark Horse Presents. It might have been Bob Shrek. Um, uh, just as some some other freelancer had had flaked and blown a deadline and wasn't going to turn in the eight page story that he owed them. So <laughs> they got this thing for me, and it was it was eight pages long. It was already lettered. Uh, there weren't too many spelling mistakes in it. Mm-hmm. And they, they called me up and said, "Has this been been published?" And I said, "No, no, it's just a sample." And they said, could, "Could we run this?" And I said, um, you know, <laughs> let, me, "Let me check with my secretary." Um, and and yeah, they 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 ran it. They they paid me and the writer for it, and, and, it was, and we were off. Oh,
1: wow. that's that's a that's a that's a fun that's a fun thing. Now you, I mean, you're getting into comics, you know, professionally at a time when. Things are really taking off. Did that? Yeah. Were you
2: feeling? Well, it, 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 I didn't benefit from it the way that I would have liked, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's 1992 at this point. Images is, is starting to metastasize and becoming the, the, the big that, that that slice of comics is becoming the biggest thing in the world. And as I said, I I had it. I was drawing. You know, stuff that was state of the art for 1955 <laughs> you know, um, I used to joke that it was it was it's like I I'd had, had come out of music school uh, knowing how to knowing how to uh, sing like Dean Martin and, and the whole world wanted Metallica. <laughs> Um, but there were no yeah you know, I was always able to find... Once I started getting work, I was always able to find one more job that wanted the kind of storytelling that, that I did, um, and. It,
1: it, okay. Did you think of your art like that, or like was that something that you learned, or is that style like just inherently what you would do?
2: Um, it was a, a combination. Uh, my my sensibility is, like I, I mentioned earlier. Making an interesting picture was never interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, all I cared about was narrative, um, and I think that led me towards towards ways of drawing that that weren't all that focused on being exciting or expressive. I yeah, you know, I wanted to, to downplay things and uh, let the impacts come from juxtaposition, from from putting one picture smartly next to another and, and letting <laughs> letting the explosions detonate in the reader's mind rather than on the page mm-hmm. do you um, feel yeah. i mean
1: it's it's interesting because you say you can say you know like it felt like an like an older style and you know what you're talking about is just you know good storytelling to me and i think like when i first came across your work i was not uh, an astute reader i don't think i could have really but you know, it, it's it's different. It's you're right. It's not bombastic, but in a way, and now you know I have hindsight. I can say, well, Jesus was actually very modern because now, you know, it seems to it seems to fit right in. And it's you know that kind of, uh, you know, storytelling focused, um, simp not simple is not the right word. Clean. I could I could go with that. You know, uh, it, I I think of it as cartooning. You know, that seems very modern it seems it seems current it's it's of the time and i mean are you do you think you're doing things the same way that you always were or or i don't know how do you look uh, at I, it i guess I,
2: I think i'm doing it uh, i'm doing it the way what i'm doing now is what i was trying to do a long time right yeah you know, yeah with, with personal but it, it improvement for yeah um the it's funny the, the word that i tend to use for it is what i got from uh, david mammoth talking about film um he talks a lot about the uninflected shot. Um,
3: mm-hmm.
2: me, you know, meaning that that it, a movie is created by you know, by one unexceptional shot set next to another unexcept, unexceptional shot which creates a meaning by their juxtaposition um, and it's it's not about putting the camera somewhere exciting and seeing people from an, from a wild and distorted angle or anything like that uh, it's the, the example he gives in his book on directing film, uh, is that is from Casablanca where the biggest moment in Humphrey Bogart's life is signaled by him taking a beat, turning to his piano player and nodding his head. <laughs> and, but but it, it's, it's the, the moment when, when Rick decides, uh, you know, go ahead and play and, and play the Marseillaise. Um, and yeah, yeah, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to stand up against fascism, after all. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, but it's it's all done with with just a just a single nod of the head. Um, and uh, I don't think I'd read Mammoth at that point, but I'd uh, I'd I'd read Hitchcock, Truffaut, and um, I'd, you know, been studying Alex Toth stuff, you know, like it was Talmud. Uh, and uh, just really trying to to you know, to assimilate it, it, all these influences from of people who were deeply story focused. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the exercises that I used to do for myself, um, and that I'd, I recommend to young artists all the time, is is I would watch old movies, stuff from you know, before 1960, didn't no matter what it was with the sound off and see how much of the story I could, I could follow, how much I could, I could understand about what's going on and who these characters are just from the pictures. And it's a tremendously useful exercise for any artist who who wants to really uh, grasp the visual grammar of storytelling. Um, And and once you've once once you see it it being done so well and so gracefully without doing anything flashy or showy, putting the flashier or showy stuff in just feels like bad taste.
1: Oh yeah, I, yeah, I get that. It's totally an aesthetic thing, but I wonder, do, you know? Do you feel like it was difficult to? Find enough people who appreciated that, both in terms of like editors or and in terms of readers.
2: Well, uh, I I'd occasionally bump heads. Like I was, I was hired at DC by Archie Goodwin, who's who, who's someone who's very sympathetic to the way that I worked. Um, but he had to pass me off to a to a much younger and very very new editor, who every month would would send me packages of. Of it, look look at what Joe Mad's doing on Battle Chasers. Couldn't you draw like this? It literally just just said the <laughs> other artists who wished I would draw like, um, and yeah, I, so I, I had to fight with that for a while, but for most of my career, uh, people hired me because they they, they can see what I was good at.
1: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Are you drawn? Do you? I mean, are you drawn to? Here, let me rephrase. I feel like I see that type of art with those kinds of considerations a a, a lot more frequently now than than you know that would have been highlighted. Then, like now, I can think of a good number of people who I I think you know are really strong storytellers. Their characters act. There are things. It's not about a splash page. It's not like things have changed. You know. Do you feel like it's it like the it's changed in, in that in terms okay. of like yeah
2: absolutely um, there's 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 still there, there's still plenty of folks who only want uh, <laughs> uh, you want you know, colorful explosions on every page and things lit from from four uh, from four different light sources and it, it used to be <laughs> that they they wanted that done in the at, at the ink stage now they want that done in the color stage um, but there's there's so much more room for for you know, for individual approaches, and and for uh, artists to follow their own muse and to express their own notions of, of what a good story is than there than, than I ever imagined there would be, even coming out of the heady days of the of, of the mid '80s and, and early '90s. Mm-hmm. Now,
1: had you had you always pretty much worked with writers or, or did you, you try to tell to uh, write your own stories oh, as
2: well? Oh, my, one of my biggest regrets as, as a cartoonist is that I haven't pursued writing more. Mm-hmm. Um, in, uh, in the early days, there was always one more paying gig that I had to take on. So I never really had time to, you know, to sit down and concentrate and write and, and write anything. Um, now it, it would be, it would be, no problem for me to uh, to write you know, to write something and get someone to publish it. There's, right. there's at least three publishers who've said, they'll they'll take anything I, that I do. Um, that must be a nice feeling. It is a nice feeling. Yeah. Uh, it, but it, it's funny. Uh, after thirty years of this, now my favorite thing about drawing a comic is is solving the puzzle of the script.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And when I have drawn my own stories and I've, I've written a few. Yeah.
3: Um,
2: but, but I enjoy drawing my own stories so much less than I enjoy drawing other people's. Uh, it's like you know, when I'm, when I'm drawing a story that I wrote, it feels like solving a crossword puzzle that I designed. Mm-hmm. You know, it, <laughs> You know, suddenly, it's just I'm just filling in cells in an Excel sheet or something instead of it's in, instead of trying to get inside somebody's head. And, and um, it's you know, it, it's deeply frustrating because I, I know it's some, I, I know that, that that it shouldn't be like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, it, when it comes to drawing, I really get the most pleasure from uh, interpreting. A complete story.
1: So, not to like I said, I I first came across your stuff uh, with with Whiteout, and that was really right when I was first sort of getting into comics. I was I was gonna say seriously, but I put air quotes around that. But like, but when I start recognizing it as an art form, you know, and start to really understand the intricacies of how it works, and and I I think that was a really interesting time. Because you know the bankruptcies had happened, comics were not doing great a lot, and then all of a sudden you had this sort of creative groundswell, I think, where comics were really great for a while before it's like people like, "Well, there's no money in this, let's make really good comics like <laughs> like is how did you look at that time did it feel like, oh no, what are we gonna do or or it was it did it feel freeing or you,
2: you know well I mean you know, let's see uh the, the early eighties for me was just a wildly exciting time to be reading comics and at that point i wasn't thinking that i could do it professionally but i yeah, i remember um going into uh phantom of the attic my local comic shop in pittsburgh pennsylvania uh and and saying i'm really loving this swamp thing comic and this thor comic uh it's, it's like they both I didn't, have, I didn't have the vocabulary for it but it's like mm-hmm. the, each of them creates its own whole world inside the comic. But what else is like that? Mm-hmm. And God bless him. Uh, the owner of that store manager, Jeff Yandora still, still, <laughs> still owns it. Um, walked me over and handed me a copy of love and rockets. Mm-hmm. And that set my brain on fire. I'd never read anything like that. And it was, it, 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 the, it uh, Jaime Hernandez just, 35 years later remains still my, uh, my favorite, my, my favorite working cartoonist, just an unbelievable storyteller. And so, so all through the ups and downs of, of, of comic book industry insanity, uh, storytellers like him were, uh, a North star to follow. Mm-hmm. um, yeah. And there would always be a bunch of stuff coming out that I just had no interest in. I, uh, but that didn't matter. You know, you know, what didn't matter were the five or six books that I that I picked up that that really did blow me away. And there was there was always somebody doing something unexpected, something nifty.
1: Do, do you still like have comics that make you feel that way that are coming out today or do you, you still read stuff that comes out?
2: Well, I have to leave the house to uh, get <laughs> a lot of it, but let's see. Um, one you know, one comic that just blew me away, utterly blew me away recently, was, was by a studio mate of mine, um, Dylan McConus, and uh, she, <laughs> God bless her, she she hand painted a 400 page graphic novel. Good lord uh, 400 pages of water, of, of, of watercolor. And, I, and I, I got it, got it. It's, it came out in, in hardcover and I sat down and I blasted through it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Holy shit. That was amazing. And it's, it's a middle grade story about a, um, uh, a, a, a young girl who doesn't yet know that she's, the, that, that she's a queen in exile. Uh, and reading it, I was an eleven-year-old girl. Man, I, I was oh, this is the best. This is this is the absolute best story. Um, and yeah, having finished that four hundred pages, I immediately sent an email to the author asking, "When's the next one coming?" Yeah, yeah, they, they love that.
1: <laughs> I've have done exactly that. Um, <laughs> my he's a friend of mine now. But uh, box office poison by Alex Robinson was like I it's a 600 page book He worked on it forever and I bought it and I I read through it in a day and I and I did the same thing I sent him I didn't know him but I sent him an email and I was like I just really appreciate that I think I bought a couple of pages and and I was like (laughs) I read it one day and he and he just was like you know that took me forever I'm sorry the
2: time the time it took to make that that was my youth yeah (laughs) no
1: I I, yeah (laughs)
2: um and I, I've,
1: always, I've always remembered that, though. I'm like, all right, don't yeah. don't say I sucked your whole story in, in 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 one gulp. What do you have now? That's funny. Yeah.
2: Another book that that just, just knocked my socks off was The Hard Tomorrow by Eleanor Davis. Um, mm-hmm. She's uh, an artist out of somewhere in Georgia, uh, I believe. She she teaches at or taught at SCAD. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's mostly uh, a uh, an illustrator for like the New York Times and stuff like that, but she's also a spectacularly talented cartoonist. And uh, this this book, The Hard Tomorrow, is a um, a very very near future story about uh, people coping with uh, a devolving political situation in the U.S. I, I wonder why it was so affecting. Um, but you know, she, you know, she's, she's able to draw with incredible expressive beauty in every panel, uh, but, but still never make the individual panels upstage the story. I don't, I don't know if that, if it's clear what I'm talking about there. Uh, I, I've never taken I mean, It, out it of sounds this...
1: related to what you were talking about earlier. In, in yeah. The, yeah. Know, the David Mamet quote.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm never taken out of the story thinking to myself, you know, wow, that's that's an impressive piece of ink work or anything like that, mm-hmm. but yeah, every single every single panel of the story is is a, a gorgeous object in and of itself uh, and a, a functional piece of, of comics making as well.
1: That, that's a really interesting aspect of of good comic book art. I've noticed is that like. Yeah in order to work really well, you have to have, it's almost like you can't notice it, but it's antithetical to itself. I've noticed this a lot. You just, yeah. that's, I mean, and that's a, that's a hell of a challenge for you to have to work with. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and yeah, yeah, for me, yeah, my, my natural inclinations to never been to, you know, to, to try to impress with individual visuals. So it was never a problem. Uh, I know I've known some artists who've, who've really had to work to to to, to knock that down. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my studio mates was a uh, classically trained painter and has a remarkable facility. Holy cow! Can he illustrate? Can he draw? Can he paint? Um, and it, in his earlier stuff, you would you would wind up with panels competing with each other. Because you know it's it, it's like looking at a at a at a band, and every single member of the band is trying to rush to the front of the stage and solo at the same time.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and, and it, it's it's taken uh, like conscious effort on his part to not put as much in as he's capable of. Hmm. So, um, I'm going to skip forward a little
1: bit here, oh, sure. um, because. Uh it's like I could go on forever. Um, yeah, you know yeah, when, Let's get to Jimmy. when I think um you know when when you started doing Superior Foes of Spider-Man uh with Nick Spencer uh and I, I read I was looking and, and I said that was 20, 2013 which I can't believe that was that long ago. Um oh, no. I I feel like I feel like that was you know a real moment for uh for you and for you know sort of like... Uh, I guess having sort of another, another good time sort of starting up in comics because, you know, you, you're doing a, a, an action book, but it's a comedy book. And you've done a lot of work like that since then. And that's become, I mean, I, I, I don't know if you think you're getting pigeonholed or anything like that, but it's a real strength. You know, there's been, like, there's not a lot of people who can make a comic book page, you know, where the acting is, is the part of it that's laugh out loud funny. And, uh, you know, I find that super impressive. You know, it was, tell me about it
2: (laughs) or what you think uh, of what I said. No, uh, when, when I, when I accepted the job, I didn't know the book was going to be a comedy. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Nick Spencer did either. (laughs) Um, uh, Nick only writes a couple of pages at a time. So I was only getting script three, three or four pages at a time. And, uh, there'd be a moment or a line in that was, that was kind of funny. Um, And I would deliver that laugh as best I could and then try to put something else that's just in the pictures. That's also funny.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, And then Nick would get that batch of pages and he would try to top what I had just given him. And, and, you know, he he started to see that, Oh, okay. uh, We could actually, you know, as a team we could actually be funny together. And the book went from just a a a wise guy villain book to a to a sitcom. Um somebody described us as um as it's always sunny in Philadelphia in Spandex. And I think that's that's a, a very fair comparison. Um but I when I when I accepted I had no idea that I could even do comedy.
1: Well, that was my question. I, I was like, I, I I, mean, I knew you. I knew your work before then. But I, I remember thinking, like, wait, was he always funny? And I didn't, you know, but it really was a thing. Did you know Nick yeah. before
2: that? No. Wow. Um, I think I think he and, and Steve Wacker at Marvel had seen the the 10 pager I did in Matt Fraction's Hawkeye run. And seeing that saw that, that I had the right. Naturalism for for what Nick for, for the for the the crime type superhero book that Nick was writing, um, and uh, it, it was very very exciting to find out that that, that I could actually do funny on paper. Uh, it helped that I, I I was sharing a studio with three of the funniest people in comics: mm-hmm. uh, Jeff Parker, Colleen Coover and Ben Dewey. So I had uh, I had great people to bounce things off of, um, and I could, you know, I could could hold up two different layouts and say which of these is funnier, and they could point to it and say, you know, that go with that one. Uh, that, that that kind of thing helped a lot, um, and it also really helped that we were on a book that absolutely no one in Marvel cared about, and most people at Marvel didn't know they were publishing. <laughs> uh, it, it is
1: yeah by the way it's never a good sign if I really like a book that's that's,
2: that's. I, 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 I'm, I'm right there with you yeah, um, yeah we, we we debuted as part of some kind of spider spider month or something like that and then when people saw that Spider-Man wasn't actually in our comic the sales started plunging and never stopped um, you know we, we just hemorrhaged readers all through that run <laughs> Um, but what what quickly happened is that that people in the office uh, started reading it and liking it, and that was all that mattered. Because <laughs> I think they, I think in the end they they let us finish the the run because they want they wanted to see what happened.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it, I mean, it really was a thing. That's that's really interesting. That so did it because he was writing it piecemeal, and you guys were. God, that's the closest I've ever heard to sort of improv in a comic book series. But like, did it turn into a thing then that it maybe wasn't necessarily going to be?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, wow. Uh, well, uh, it was always going to be about uh, about Boomerang reform- bringing bringing together the 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 Sinister Six or five or whatever <laughs> the Sinister Several. Um, uh, but it, I don't think. Nick wouldn't have, I don't think Nick would have pitched a sitcom to, Mm -hmm. to Marvel comics. And I don't think Marvel comics would have greenlit it. Uh, it's just, it's just because it was being done so organically that, that we were able to do that kind of thing. Um, (laughs) yeah. Uh, for most of the issues, pages only came in in batches of like two or three at a time. Um, so very frequently I had no idea what, uh, what the scene I was drawing had to do with the rest of the story um when when I got to uh, the the reveal of 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 silvermane's head on the car, I was as surprised as any reader
1: <laughs> that's specifically what I was thinking. I was like, well, then he must not have had that in mind originally, and that was sort of born of your your um collaboration,
2: yeah yeah um <laughs> yeah there there were yeah, there were times when i would i would i would get a uh when i would hit, hit a surprise of the script and i would just just go ah and throw the script across the room out of shock <laughs> like hell oh, that's nuts that's insane um always you know, always an appreciation but never yeah, never frustration um but yeah it was uh, it, i it was entirely seat of the pants that- i am I like real, that. Real, 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 <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it, it, I think readers were constantly surprised because we were constantly surprised.
1: Yeah. Well, that you're sort of, you know, you're, you're, i was trying not to use the word vibing off each other, but you know, you're reacting to each other as you're creating a thing. And I mean, that's not, that's not how comics get made most of the time.
2: No. Uh, and and, and I, yeah when I was, when I did that, I would have said that I couldn't, Deliver funny any other way, because you know, the, the the scripts were you know sometimes they were Marvel style, sometimes they were just three pages of dialogue with no visual instructions. Sometimes it, it literally said uh, maybe something funny happens here. Uh, so you know, so there was a lot of room for improv and I you know, and plenty of places for me to do the thing that I I knew could work. Uh, you know, there's I, I could re- or I could read a script and see six or seven different possibilities for how to tell what he's put down on what he's given me, and I can choose the funniest one. And I wasn't sure if I could be as funny given a much more traditional script that says panel one. That here's a panel description. Here are the words. Here are the words. Um, but then. I worked with, with Matt fraction on Jimmy and Matt's scripts are super tight. Everything's there. Uh, he, he knows what, uh, what tier, how many tiers of panels there are on the page and, uh, which in which panels are on which tier. And, uh, he, he's, he's a formalist. He thinks very, very hard about, about, about how things are arranged on the comics page. Um, but, He's also really, really funny, and every single, every single thing he asked for, all I had to do was was draw what was draw what he asked for, and the laugh would arrive.
1: <laughs> do you normally like to have, you know, a script that gives you more more looseness, or or could you work? I mean, I'm I'm sure you can work with either, but what is it you normally
2: I've, prefer? I've, I've, yeah, I've worked from incredibly loose to incredibly incredibly tight Mm -hmm. uh my favorite is or scripts that give me some room to maneuver um i uh, i like to know what needs to be accomplished on a page and then i like to to be able to uh to improvise based on that um yeah uh, uh, i like to uh throw in extra panels for for characters to take a beat or to pause between saying something um even if I'm not, I, I prefer to do my own lettering. But even if I'm not, uh, I always turn in a lettered version anyhow, so that uh, the rest of the team can see what I was thinking for the rhythm of a page. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I just made a face, like if somebody does, like like if a chef put food in front of you and it was beautiful looking, just because to have you say I like to do my own lettering, I'm just like oh. Cause it doesn't. It's a thing that doesn't exist anymore. And I like. I was trying to explain to somebody about how hand lettering is the best, but there's only like twelve people in the world who really think that anymore. <laughs> was, and, it was a non-comics friend of mine. I was like, "Did you did you write that by hand?" And I was like, "Hand lettering in comic book is the best thing." And he's like, "What are you talking about?" And I was like, "Don't worry about it. it won't matter to anybody
2: else." Yeah, it's. Um, I, I, it makes thing. Uh, uh, d- despite the aesthetic beauty of it and and how wonderful it is uh, on the, on the original art and, uh, and just how satisfying good hand lettering can be, it makes everybody else's job so much harder. um, (laughs) That's that. that I I just feel guilty uh, asking, demanding that, that they, that they go with, with, with my hand lettering uh, or with lettering, on the original art um
0: yep
2: m- uh, both matt and nick and, and other writers i've worked with uh, jeff parker james asmus you know are all very very diligent about doing a second pass after they get the artwork mm-hmm. and and uh taking out dialogue if there's places where my where where the pictures communicate everything that needs to be said um uh, Adding new lines, adding new jokes if they see a place for it, um, you know, fine-tuning things so that you know, so that it's an organic product rather than just the result of an assembly line. Um, and if you've got a, a, a book that's hand-lettered with, your, with the with the lettering on the page, you lose the the flexibility to do that. It's suddenly, you know, if you have, if you want to take out a word balloon. You have to create the artwork that that, that, that hand drawn word balloon would have covered up. Mm-hmm. Um, and for and for the forward editions, it's nightmarish. Oh, yeah, I, uh, you know, I I saw I uh, think it was the German translation of Whiteout. And that was already a, a, a pretty it was head-lettered, at a pretty wordy dense book as Greg's first comic, so he he hadn't <laughs> got got the, the brevity that that characterizes a lot of his later writing. Um, and when you when you take all that stuff and then translate it into German, suddenly it, uh, <laughs> there's just there's just not no physical room inside the word balloons I'd drawn for all that dialogue. You know, they, they they would have to slam it down to this ridiculously small font just to fit it all in.
1: German. Now that I think about it, doesn't really seem like a language that lends itself to comic book lettering in general. So you're double hit there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? Actually, let me let me go back a little bit. Now, you know that collaboration with Greg Rucka uh, was was certainly a big deal for him and for you. To uh, you know, how did that come about?
2: Um, I uh, I had worked for. Uh, Bob Shrek on some stuff at Dark Horse years prior and uh, he, he had kept me in mind he liked, he, he liked what I did and he had just formed Oni Press with Joe Nosemak uh, they, you know, they, were, they were a startup in, in 1997 um, and somebody I think maybe Matt Wagner had introduced Greg to, to Bob and uh, and showed, showed uh, them uh, Greg's debut script uh, the, the very first comic he'd ever written White Out Number 1 hmm. and they liked it and it, it was apparently in 97 it w- wasn't easy to find somebody who could draw that kind of material you know, it, it, needed, it, it needed to be black and white because they didn't have a budget for color um, they needed someone who could do naturalism because this, the story didn't call for, for you know, glamorous heroic types uh, they needed someone who could who could conjure up the environment because uh, the you know Antarctica was was an active presence in the story, not just a background or, or a lack of background. Um, so th- th- there weren't a whole lot of people who could do that, and there were very few people who could do it for what Oni was off was able to offer. <laughs> in um, and uh, I think they they probably showed it to two or three people before me. Um, but I, I had just moved to Portland, um, and I don't remember this, but apparently Bob sent Greg Rucka over to my table to, to check out my stuff and, and see what he thought of my work. And Greg liked it, and, and I, th- I think he bought some Batman prints for me or something. Um, and they offered it to me, and I, and, and I took it on. And and yeah, At, at that point, my career was not... In a very good place. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I w- yeah. I was, I was having a hard time lining up things. I, I managed to keep busy, but it wasn't easy. And the jobs were getting, we were getting less glamorous all the time. Um, and I was starting to wonder if I was going to have to get a, get a day job. Uh, and, but, but I, I, I took this one on because <laughs> this this the script that Bob had given me for Whiteout Number One was the best thing I'd ever re- read.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I had never seen a comic script that good in my life, uh, and I knew I could knock it out of the park. Uh, and I'd also been on the assembly line a lot. Uh, I used that term before stuff where I um, the. The editor would tell the writer what to write. The writer would tell me what to pencil. I would tell the I would give it to an inker. The inker would give it to a color artist. Nobody was communicating with each other. People were working across purposes. Uh, the, the, the end results of that first few years of work just were very good, um, and I, I, I felt like okay, if if I'm going to be one of those guys who, who comics chews up and spits out let, let me do one thing that i'm really proud of mm-hmm. what in one book that looks exactly the way i want it to look and with this i knew i could get that um i loved the story i knew i could make it sing uh i knew i could make it look like like the art in my sketchbooks rather than the assembly line comics that had my name on them um and I could control every bit of it because mm. they, they didn't have the budget. There was there was no wasn't going to be any color on top of it. They, they were fine with me doing my own my own hand lettering. Um, I could do all the the cool stuff with um, uh, with gray tones that that that, that, that was intriguing me. Uh, and you know, I I gave a year to those four issues, uh, and yeah, you know, I knew I had something special from from the very first scene. Uh, and yeah, it was, it was just a, a wonderful experience.
1: That's fantastic. I was, you know, in the, the middle of that, I was, I was going to ask you, you know, did you know, but clearly you knew it was something special. Like, Yeah. I didn't, people, I didn't know if people,
2: I didn't know if you would find an audience cause <laughs> that's, that's never a given. Certainly not no. then. No. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I knew that, that at least for me, it would finally be a comic that, a log comic that, that felt that felt like uh, how to how put this like the kind of comic. That was the reason I went to art school in the first place. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I think that was a very good time era for comics like that. And I think that, be, you know, because I came in at that time, you know, as as like I came back to reading, and I was an adult, and I was you know sort of looking for something out of it, and I there was, you know, for that that five years after that or so, you know, people were able to make comics in the mainstream that weren't sort of just the same thing, and it was you know it's people who knew what they were doing, but because, you know, they didn't have a lot, people didn't have a lot to lose, you know, you you got all these different types of stories that you know they existed before, but on a much you know smaller scale. Um, I, I always, I always look at it as it was such a great time for me to become a reader again and to become involved with the industry as I did sort of during that time. And I, I, I you know, your book was definitely one of those at that point I thought, Oh, there can be comics like this about people to this day. You know, I will, I will read a solicitation for something and I'll get to the supernatural twist and I'm like, Oh, just make it people. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a real bugaboo of mine. Oh, um, Tom. With you on that. Yeah, because it, it can. You know, like, there's, it doesn't have to be that thing. Just, you know, just... I This is actually probably related to what you're saying. Just because you can make it like that, you know, because you can make the panel bombastic. You can do it. It doesn't mean you have to. Like, just tell the story, and that'll stand. Um, So I'll skip back the other way, because I was... Because uh, I moved backwards. But, um, so, w- w- Jimmy Olsen was a real treat. <laughs> that was...
2: It was a delight. Yeah, I,
1: I, I hope it was as much fun for you as it was reading. I, I don't see how it couldn't be.
2: I I would sit at the drawing board in a, in a room by myself, laughing out loud, just just because what, what 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 fraction to come up with was so damn funny. Um, it was it, it was a joy, um, and one of the great pleasures of working with Matt is not only do you get wildly entertaining scripts. You also get weird texts at all hours. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that, that's a that's a big fun part of it. Um, he's he's got a brain that doesn't shut off, and he just keeps coming up with great ideas. Um, and and he he reworked that a lot. Um, there I don't there were several drafts of the first issue before I actually signed on, and then at least three, three reworkings. Once I started drawing the book, um, be, because of the, of the, the, nonlinear, um, construction of the story, you know, it's built of, of, all these, these anecdotes that are actually part of one large narrative, but it, you, you can't tell that's the case at first. Um, we, we, by we, I mean, Matt, um, uh, <laughs> moved stuff around between the first three issues and and reordered them uh, and stuff got redrawn and changed, just fine tuning it like crazy so that it would just, it's hopefully all the work's invisible, but man, there was a lot behind the scenes of just, just tinkering to get that opening as funny as it could be.
1: Well, you know, because of the fact that it is, so many pieces that make up a thing—it's almost like you had to design three times as many books as you know you're actually working on. It, you know, Jimmy has multiple personas and appearances within a given issue. It just seems like a hell of a lot of work.
2: Oh, it, it's—that's it, just fun. I mean,
1: yeah, it, <laughs> one of
2: the it, one of the, the the tough things for for a lot of artists is that if you, if you're on a you want to be on a long assignment because you want the security and the stability. But, you know, if you're working on the same project for a year, it usually means you don't get to draw in draw a different style. You don't get to do different tone. You don't get to do different genres. But because of this book, we had sequences that were like a crime comic, sequences that were like a superhero comic. Stuff that was like uh, an episode of Little Archie or Early Peanuts. Um I got to be six or seven different cartoonists in the court just in the course of telling this one story, <laughs> uh, and that that that's it, it, that's just a punch in the arm uh, uh, every time you every time you do it. Just it, just a constant surge of energy.
1: It sounds like you still really like to draw and make comics.
2: Yeah, yeah. When 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 I have a good story that's worth telling, um, I, yeah, I I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm cooking for my family, mm-hmm. you know, and that everyone's gonna get to gonna sit or, sit around a big table and tuck it and say, "Oh my God, this is delicious!" and and you know, I'll get to eat, you know get to to, to chomp along with them. Um, I, I I love that. It, it's it's a great process, and 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 when I'm in the zone, it doesn't it it doesn't even feel like work. It it feels like solving like, like I used the, the the thing earlier, like I'm solving fun crossword puzzles or something.
1: I mean, I that that all all reads in the work, I think, and it's one of the. It's funny because you know the the I've I've talked about comics, you know, on a show every week for well over a decade, and it's really easy. I think you can see it in the work, you can see it in people talking about, it. you see it in fans to get. I don't know if jaded's the right word, but you know, it, to lose some of that joy. But every once in a while, you will you know you will get comics and you will see. Just something that makes you happy. It might be a little thing. It might be, you know, like a, like a, like a, like those issues were funny, you know, and funny in a way that, I don't, know, I still, I think is really rare, and and I, I just like, I find that really energizing, uh, you know, to sort of read comics and know they can still surprise you and still be fun, and you know, you and and Matt Fraction are not, you know, uh, creators I don't know, but you know, there's still surprise in there, and and I
2: really like that. I appreciate that. It, it, <laughs> I'm always glad to hear that. Yeah. Um, it, usually, uh, with 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 stuff like this, I'd be getting a lot of feedback in person. I, you know, yeah, <laughs> I think I'm for, I think I was scheduled for seven seven conventions this year, um, and so I'm, I'm not going to get any of that face to face from folks. Um, I, I was quite frankly looking forward to people coming up and seeing lines from the book to me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, you deserve.
2: You sure, yeah, yeah, you sure have created some content too. Um,
1: <laughs> That's how we talk now.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, Your content so yeah, was lol. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's it, it's a gift, and it's, uh, the 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 reverse of that. I've I've you know uh, as a working cartoonist, I've done some projects that were just to pay the bills and the thing nobody nobody ever tells you is that it's even it's harder to draw a a a badly written story than it is to draw a good one sure it it just takes you know it it takes all the same amount of energy uh just you know for you know for the for constructing all the panels and making all the pictures make sense uh, but it doesn't give you anything back while you're doing it, and you're and you're having to to put a lot of energy and thought into it's it's weekend at Bernies. You're, you're 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 running a corpse around trying to make, make people think it's alive.
1: <laughs> and you you know you're trying to solve a problem you don't really care about the solution for. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So what do you? are you worried about like only being the funny guy and not getting to do other things or sort of how do you what do you aim for now
2: I'm I'm more worried that I that I won't ever get a get another script as funny as what Matt came up with Yeah um, Yeah uh, I've I've had a couple of offers of, of stuff and it was all they were all cool projects but and they they weren't things that I felt like I was the best guy for Mhm um, so even in this economy um, I I said uh, uh, no that that's that's not for me um, not an easy thing to, to no. say no to work <laughs> at, at this time but yeah I I don't want people who, are, who read my next project because they like Jimmy to be disappointed because it's not because th- that same magic isn't there um, yeah it's funny one one script that was offered to me by a writer who I whose stuff I love, but when I got it, I could instantly see three other artists doing a much better job on it than I did,
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, and that's that's not me just that's that's not me be, being modest or anything. It's just. I know that, that 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 there's other folks out there who could make this stuff sing, and, and the best I could do was kind of hum along with it. <laughs> and so I had to say, you should go talk to these guys.
1: Well, I hope that keeps working out for you. <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, like, it it is a bold stance, but it it's, you know, it's the right thing to do. It's not necessarily as the expedient, but... Um.
2: Yeah. And uh, it's... I've, I've never taken a vacation before in, in comics. <laughs> uh, literally. I've, yeah. Even, even when we've, we've like rented out a house on the beach for on the Oregon coast for, for the holidays or something. I've, I've take, I've put my Cintiq in a suitcase and, and set it up at the beach house and, and, and done six or seven hours of drawing on uh, every day on vacation. Um, and so, you know, you, now with with jimmy behind me i've i'm finally getting a whole bunch of commissions i'd agreed to do done uh and i'm doing lots of those those uh fundraiser drawings that i mentioned at at the top of the interview um and waiting to see what the next project is going to be
1: well i know that you're not going to pick something just for the hell of it so i'm excited about that and uh we'll check it out um I think I uh, I think I'm out of stuff to ask. That's not true. I'm never out of stuff to ask for. But I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna let this go before it hits hour three. Um, thanks so much for for talking to me.
2: Gosh, this is a pleasure. Thanks for all these great questions. Oh,
1: no problem. Um, cool. Well, I will be watching out for that next thing. I I let everybody know that Jimmy Olsen is fantastic and, and all sorts of other stuff. That so thanks so much for the time. Thank you. Talk to you. And that was another great conversation and uh, another episode of explode I want to thank Steve for hanging out with me, for talking to me and telling me stories. It was a lot of fun. And if you want more from Steve, you can obviously check his comics out, but you can uh, go to Steve underscore Lieber uh, on Twitter. And uh, thanks so much for the patrons, for supporting the show, getting these interview shows out, and uh, everyone for listening. We'll talk to you soon.